Have you ever been politely called out for something you've done professionally? Well, today's guest challenged me on something related to this podcast. And you know what? She was right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 69 as the Resilience Think Tank presents the Resilient Journey podcast. Today, I'm joined by someone that I think represents the future of crisis management and resilience. Samantha Lara is my guest. Listen as Samantha explains why younger professionals need to be heard on my podcast. We talk about the value of education and certification versus work experience. Samantha explains that sometimes if you can't open a door, you have to create your own door. And we talk about where to turn if you want to dabble in or learn more about an adjacent discipline. But first, I have an interesting announcement about the Resilience Think Tank. Hi, I'm Mark Hoffman, one of the managing partners of the Resilience Think Tank. This year, we're focusing on the future of resilience, and we want to hear from you. In other words, the future of resilience is in your hands. Here's what to do. Record a 30 to 60 second long video telling us what you think the future of resilience looks like. Simply finish this sentence. The future of resilience is, and explain why you feel that way. Send your video to hello at resiliencethinktank.com. If you're camera shy or don't want to record a video, that's no problem. Simply post your thoughts on the Resilience Think Tank LinkedIn page with the hashtag future of resilience. The future of resilience is in your hands. Samantha, welcome to the podcast. Really happy to have you here. Let's start with a little bit about your background and then tell the listeners something that we might not otherwise know about you. Yeah, thanks, Mark, for uh, having me here. Uh, So my career started out in uh, crisis management, and I stayed there for seven years, and I loved it. Uh, But I started getting the itch for doing something more and doing something different. Uh, So I recently made a role change over into security technology. So I'm uh, currently learning lots in uh, this new field, and uh, it's very exciting. And something about me that the listeners probably wouldn't know uh, are I have a very large mug collection. And as I just finished displaying to you, the one today is uh, (laughs) the Rainbow Unicorn mug, which says you are something magical on it. And uh, yeah, every single one of them is different. I don't have matching cups in this house. (laughs) Nice. And uh, yeah, there are, I think, 20... 25, 26. I got to do more inventory on it, but there are a lot. So let me ask you a question about the mugs because I like mugs too. Um, But, and you can be honest with me. I mean, we're friends. Um, Do you have a mug problem? (laughs) Yes, I absolutely have a mug problem. Uh, I cannot deny it any further, especially after moving them from the one drawer into the cabinet. I, yeah, I, to, to see the one drawer, it's like, okay, like, yeah, it's full of mugs, uh, but to move it into varying shelves, yeah, it takes yeah. up the entire cabinet. It's a, it's a bit of a problem, but you know, that's why people listen to the podcast for that hard hitting journalism. You know, we we got right to the heart of the matter there, so uh, <laughs> so that's good. Now, listen, you did something recently, or you and I have actually been having a conversation for a while now, and you said something to me that I really like. And it's around the idea of multiple generations in the resilience industry and some difficulties that it's posing for 
the next generation, for uh, those who are newer or younger or just uh, trying to break into the industry. Um, why don't you summarize what we've been sort of talking about here a little bit? Yeah, I guess to summarize it, um, I ended up expressing how much I do appreciate and enjoy the amount of very seasoned professionals that you've been able to bring onto the podcast. However, I can only relate so much um, being obviously younger um, and, and newer to the to this industry. Um, yeah, I found myself looking up at these individuals and being like, I can't relate so much to you because you have 10, 15, 20 years of experience. Whereas like, I'm still, you know, under 10, we haven't hit those double digits yet. And, um, yeah, it was just hard for me to relate and to try to pull experience and add value that I was able to bring back to my organization in the capacity that I was, you know, operating in. Now, let's be clear about something. For those listeners who don't know you, they've never heard of you. This is not Samantha being intimidated by people who have been in the industry for a long time. I get the sense from you that you don't get intimidated. I, I remember speaking to you one time, and I think I referred to you uh, as a force of nature. You are uh, a very strong, uh, independent, young professional, and I respect you so much for that. This is a valid point that you're making. Um, and you're right. So a lot of times, in order to get subject matter experts on the show, we tend to think of older people or people who have been around for a long time. But sometimes that the message that we can send there is that the, the younger, newer people into the industry, I don't know, maybe don't have as much to offer or don't have as much of a voice. And that is completely wrong. And so I'm I'm glad that we've had this conversation. One of the things that we've talked about, though, is a, a bit of a gap in that for younger, newer graduates, it's not as easy to break into the industry. Uh, and that's one of the problems. And then you have other challenges as you work your way uh, through the industry. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's definitely a multi-layered kind of issue. Um, you know, there's a lot of emphasis, not even just with the public sector, but, you know, just as equally within the private sector on education. And, you know, I'm a huge advocate and I'm always going to be a lifelong learner. learner. Mm -hmm. um, however, I really am trying now to draw a line in the sand to prioritize what really does matter and what will elevate myself in my career versus what is just fluff and what is just being done just to say you have it, at least for myself, there are, you know, enough certifications that I've, I've gotten over the last seven, eight years where mm -hmm. they're great certifications to have, but within the capacity that I'm, I'm working in, in the organization that I'm a part of, I'm not actually leveraging those certificates or certifications in the way that I think anybody would like, you know, once you end up getting those designations, you want to be able to leverage and utilize your experience. And, you know, that's not always the case, especially when you're in a very niche area, you know, business yeah. continuity, I think is, is great because you have, you know, it's, it's a really big umbrella, 
But once you start getting into crisis management, then it's like, oh, you know, like there are the crisis management communication professional designation. And that's a great designation to have through i um, However, because of how mature the program that I was dealing with, it was not, I was not able to leverage that certification in the same way that I think a lot of other organizations who don't have that maturity would have been able to. Now you just, not that long ago, I think, finished your master's in disaster and emergency management. Yes. Does that fall in the category of, to use your word fluff, or does that fall into your category of a degree that you had to have that's not necessarily adding a lot of value? So that's a great one to actually bring up. Education is something that nobody can take away from you. And that is something that I believe to my core. My grandmother absolutely instilled in all of her grandchildren um, how important it is to continue to educate yourself and learn, continue to learn, because nobody can take that knowledge away from you. Um, So when it came time to try to see what else I could be doing for myself um, in a professional manner, I started looking at more certifications, um, you know, specifically um, like the IAEM uh, certification, which is like your first one for IAEM uh, to be able to get your certified emergency management designation. Those were two designations that I held very closely to me that I wanted to try and achieve. And the way that I kind of viewed that was I wasn't in the public sector, um, which made it very hard to get some of those hours. Right. So in order to try to make my way into the public sector, I really started noticing the emphasis that was placed on um, master's, master degrees, um, and specifically master's of disaster and emergency management. It was very emphasized in any of the job uh, postings that I was looking at, you know, at this point, three, four years ago, um, because from two and a bit years ago is really when I stopped, I think, looking at public sector jobs for myself, because... Mm -hmm. I, I saw my career growth going in a, in a different direction. And that's why I'm going to probably, at least for right now, I'll be staying within the private sector. Um, but that's the master's was heavily um, emphasized. And I ended up doing it because that was something underneath my belt. That was another degree that, again, nobody can take away from me. I'm still going to have and learn lots and being able to add value to my peers and being able to take away from those conversations and bring them back to my prof- my personal life and my professional life. Um, so it was, there are some classes that I would absolutely consider to be fluff from that, mm-hmm. but that's not to say that they're fluff in a negative manner. They're just, it was mostly classes that just were, the theory is is more involved in some of those classes where, you know, theory in the workplace, it's, it's really not there. It doesn't the translate. Way. It does not translate uh, a like for like between, between those areas. So now, yeah. Are you are... saying that the course doesn't translate to the public sector environment or that public sector and private sector are just simply not translating? Uh, no, it's, it's the education into um, like practice. One of the things that's got to be frustrating for people coming out of a master's program is this disconnect. And what I mean is so many of my guests and my colleagues and friends and people I know on the private sector side tell me they just fell into business continuity. Many tell me they didn't even know what it was. And someone said, hey, we need someone to to run business continuity. 
And the next thing you know, they have a long and fulfilling and very successful career in resilience. Flip that to the public sector side, we're getting into what you talked about, how they couldn't even get the entry-level jobs without the, mm-hmm. the master's degree. And it's a massive disconnect. What do you think the problem is? Uh, what's driving that? And um, is there just something wrong with the public sector point of view? Or what's your view on that? Oh, that is such a loaded question, asking my view. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that there are not enough entry-level jobs that are scoped appropriately for people of all levels. Because as you've just explained, and as other seasoned professionals have explained, most people who end up in this profession were not trained. They just fell into it. So it really begs the question of, you know, how much emphasis needs to be placed on education within this this field? Like, yeah, you need to have education. But, you know, a lot of what we do, you can absolutely learn on the job. Right. So it's it's I think changing changing the job description or necessarily just reemphasizing the fact that a lot of the skills or the qualifications that most organizations are looking for can be taught. I, I agree with that. But now let's talk about what we can do maybe to to help fix that or to help to to help shift that uh, momentum so that is a little bit more in favor for people who are trying to get entry-level jobs into the industry. And I agree with what you're saying about education, but what do you think the answer is here? How do we even begin to shift the mindset on the public sector side? I know that almost everything these days really does boil down to money and budget. And that is another really big thing that you see in the public sector are these entry-level jobs that are expecting, you know, the expectations of what you're supposed to be doing are pretty astronomical in a lot of ways. And then they're paying you not enough money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We'll leave it at that. So it's scoping those jobs down so that you're working and gaining experience, but also being paid appropriately. I was never able to do the summer student positions for any public sector job because my finances were personally higher than what I was making. I would have never been able to go and gain that experience in the public sector through any of those jobs because they just, they were not cutting it for me Mm -hmm. um, personally. Uh, But that's where gaining experience through other ways uh, through volunteering is probably where you're going to want to gravitate towards. And, you know, there are lots of organizations out there that you are able to gain this experience in. And it's real world experience, boots on the ground kind of experience, which is, you know, a lot of what people professionally, myself included, are actually missing out on. I have way more professional experience and being behind a computer than I do with my boots being on the ground. And I'm sure that there are other many professionals who would be able to you know, vouch for for that being the same for them as well. So there's a problem here. I don't necessarily know if, you know, this isn't just a one person solution, right? But it's, you know, time and time again, it's if that one door closes, find another one. If you can't find that next open door, maybe you should create your own door. And that's really what I've done in a lot of ways is, you know, well, that door shut in my face or slammed in my face. Right. Uh, 
well, you know, what's next? What what other options do I have out there? And that's really where you should be leveraging more of your network and starting to build that too. Your network is going to time and time again, be that backbone to help you. And as young professionals, you know, that's, I think what's needed more than, than anything else that you could possibly do with your career. It's networking because it's not just casual conversations and building relationships. The amount of value that I've been able to gather from people that I have quote unquote casual conversations with through LinkedIn, through just being in the hallway at work, they're enormous. Let me ask you something. Um, because I've not been a public sector employee. I've been, I'm a lifelong consultant. And so I don't apply for jobs like, you know, someone who is going for full-time employment might, I apply for contract work. So I am naive when it comes to this. So I'm asking you uh, from, from that position, these public sector jobs that require a master's degree, is that sort of the traditional, they put it on the job description and, and, they hope maybe to weed some people out, but it's negotiable if you have other experience that could maybe bypass it. Yes, absolutely. And it's the same thing for the uh, the private sector jobs. You know, like I, when I look at job descriptions, including very honestly, the one that I am now in, I take those qualifications like a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. And as should any other professional, and there's no harm or foul in applying to a job that you're, you don't see yourself qualified for, you know, the worst thing that you can do for yourself is not apply because then you'll never know. Right. You're devaluing yourself before you even try. But the problem is too many of these HR systems now today are based on keywords and you don't even get a chance to present yourself if you don't meet a certain criteria. Absolutely. It's, um, it's very frustrating um, having been that person on the other side of the computer to consistently receive or not receive at all rejection letters on like, yeah, thanks. We've got your application, but you know, we weeded you out basically. Um, those are disheartening, you know, and as a young professional who wanted nothing more than to make my break into the public sector, that took a bit of a toll on me after, you know, countless rejections, which weren't even true rejections, because I was just being weeded out from an automated system for not having the proper keywords. So it's it's a vicious cycle. And I, I wish that there were, I don't know, I guess a better way to handle hiring. Um, but honestly, I'm going through it right now. I'm, I'm currently trying to hire for uh, a new position uh, in North America. And it's it's eye-opening. It's right. eye-opening to say the least. Um, you know, I have a pretty full inbox of people that I need to review, but everybody's there who's who's applied. And then that's when I have the option to, you know, vet them or to reject. Yeah, it's a little bit of the old school way of doing it where you actually look at the resumes and and make a decision based on your the eye test. What do you see on the resume, not a bunch of keywords? Exactly. You mentioned a minute ago the value of networking, uh, but what that really means is that people in your network need to be committed to mentoring and adding value and maybe even giving some experience here and there to the younger professionals uh, that that they're speaking with. Uh, What's the best approach here? How do we do this? So, I mean, if this was pre-COVID, I would have, you know, been offering up, 
going to conferences, those are where I've made the majority of my, of my connections, you know, from being, just being present and attending them. But going to a conference isn't the same as being mentored by someone who's been in the industry for forever. Yeah, it's totally different. And that's another, I don't want to say hard because you know what it's IAEM, um, is, is one of the organizations who has very honestly done a really good job in the last few years, especially of trying to develop their mentoring, um, uh, not system, but process, I guess more. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a really good process that you can apply and they'll like set you up with somebody. Um, I did not end up having the time, I guess, more than anything to actually have something like that, something formal like that established for me. Um, which is why I ended up doing and supplementing in various other ways through networking at the DRI stuff and through just being curious mm-hmm. and asking questions and kind of putting myself out there to yeah to have casual conversations. Let's shift gears for a second and talk about some practical things here to to move this forward because one of my complaints about talk shows, talk radio and talk shows and things like that is everybody likes to get on there and bitch and complain about what's wrong. But, you know, let's talk about some practical things, what we can do maybe to make this better going forward. So what thoughts do you have about how maybe younger professionals, younger individuals, people with less experience can get some practical insight and help from people like me who have been around for so many years? Mm-hmm. Great question. It it truly depends on where you're kind of situated. Um, so like as a full-time student, let's say um, you might have way more opportunity to be able to volunteer your time or to, you know, take summer student positions. So those are as a student, like those are really great ways to get your foot in the door and gain that valuable experience. Um, but if you are, let's say, already a professional, but looking to you know, dabble in this, this new field. Mm. Um, I would absolutely recommend starting to have con- just very casual conversations with um, individuals within your organization. If you hopefully work at a big enough organization, you will be able to have, you know, these questions um, and have these meetings with uh, individuals within business continuity, disaster recovery, crisis management, you know, wherever your, your niche or your interest kind of lies Hopefully you would have the opportunity to schedule just casual conversations to have, have a better understanding as to what this individual does, what the department does for the organization, what are their day-to-day tasks. Um, And honestly doing, doing it that way would probably set yourself up better for understanding whether this is a job for you or whether this is something that piques your interest enough to start pursuing it outside of you know, the industry that you're already a part of. I I like what you said. I'm going to expand on it though, because I think that it's great. You're right. But you can't stop there. You need to go outside your organization. Absolutely. So one of the things that the Resilience Think Tank is committed to is building those bridges between people and look for some announcements coming in the future uh, about that. But I think it's perfect to be able to say, I would like to dabble in dot, dot, dot. Uh, I would like to learn more about dot, dot, dot. And I would like to try my hand at dot, 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 whatever that turns out to be. 
Now, let's go the next step. You said something several minutes ago when I asked you if your master's degree was fluff, and you said no, because there's always value in education. But there's value in this. It's a different form of education, isn't it? When you talk to a subject matter expert in an adjacent discipline. Talk about the value of that. It's, oh my God, the the ad value for that is tremendous. Like it's off the off the scale. Um, and it's so important and vital for this field for you to dabble in a bit of everything. You need to, the way that I see this field is you are kind of like the jack of all trades, but the master of none to an extent. Mm-hmm. You know, like everybody has their specific um, expertise um, but you and every single individual that I've ever met in this field, it's not, that's not the only thing that they are knowledgeable of. Almost everybody that I've spoken to is able to talk to me about crisis management, business continuity, disaster recovery, and information security or cybersecurity. Right. Everybody has some base level knowledge of all of these different areas. And it's, it's very vital for you to be. I don't want to say ingrained, but like for you to, to at least dip your toes in, right. in these, in these subject areas, because they all intermingle and they all overlap. There are going to be situations where it's going to be geopolitical, but then there's also a cyber instance to it. You have to make yourself and educate yourself on these different areas and how they might interact with one another. You or have how to they be, might clash. That's right. You have to be knowledgeable enough in that adjacent discipline mm-hmm. to be able to ask an intelligent question. Exactly. And that's, you You said it right there. You got to be able to know how to ask the question. Yeah. You don't have to have the answers. You have to nope. know how to ask the question and rely on those subject exactly. matter experts. And it yeah. goes back to the networking that we talked about. It's not only networking in our own sort of professional lives, but also within our work disciplines. to be able to draw on the right people. This is fascinating. Look, here's where we are. We haven't solved the world's problems yet, but we have sort of laid out some things that we know that can help. People my age and my level of experience need to be mindful of being helpful to the next generation of professionals. We need to be able to help people in our uh, adjacent disciplines and be willing for people from the younger generation to come up and say, Hey, I'd like to learn more about that. Uh, and that adds a tremendous amount of value. Thank you for, um, not only presenting us with a problem, but helping us to start to define some ideas of, you know, solutioning that problem. I appreciate you. Thank you for doing this. Oh, thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to share a bit of my voice. Um, you know, and I hope that I can, help with the problem and work towards it just being better for and maybe easier for individuals who want to make make a change or break into this field Um, especially now as a manager i i need to be the change i love that you're yeah you're that's right be the change you want to see your voice matters it's great thank you samantha for doing this I'll get you out of here on this. How can people connect with you um, should they want to reach out? LinkedIn is probably the best way for people to uh, reach out to me. Uh, More than happy to leave 
my DMs open for anybody who has any questions, um, especially for those uh, new grads, uh, students, uh, people who are trying to break into into the field. My door is uh, 100% open for for you, and I'm more than happy to uh, to help. That's wonderful. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate uh, your your views on this, and thanks so much uh, for being a, a guest on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I want to thank Samantha Lara for being my guest this week on The Resilient Journey and for being the voice of the next generation of crisis management and resilience professionals. I want to thank the Resilience Think Tank for sponsoring the podcast. I'm excited about our role in the future of the industry, and we have some exciting announcements just around the corner. Learn more at resiliencethinktank.com. We have another great guest lined up for next week, so join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.